Yo, what's up, people? I'm your host, Jay Will, and I would like to welcome you to Inspire God's People, where we balance faith and business to guide you to your purpose. This is episode 206, Affirmative Reaction. That's right. Today, I'm going to do a deep dive and kick it with you and give my reaction to the affirmative action decision by the Supreme Court. We're going to talk a lot about, like, you know, how I feel about affirmative reaction. Reaction. That's the name of the episode. I can't talk. Uh, affirmative action in general. Let me tell you like this. Let's just start right here. Like, we got to untangle the web before we even get started. And I got to talk to you about my issue with politics and the role that politics plays in all of this and different agendas, the Democrats versus the Republicans. And no matter what side of that you're on, I want you to know something today. I'm on the lower side, fam. I'm going to always choose God's side when it comes to these um, very difficult and tangled conversations and all of the territorial stuff. That's not my vibe. That's not my goal today. Um, so if you're here to be mad or trip on either side, like I'm an independent Christian man, like that's the perspective I typically come from. And, you know, you could be charged up on either side, but I'm probably not going to agree with you totally on anything. I'm not here to call everybody racist. I'm not here to, you know, be mad at everybody. But I do want to intellectually um, and try to fairly objectively share my perspective. Now, why does my perspective even matter? Why should you listen to me today, people? Well, let me tell you like this. Um, there are a lot of topics um, that happen in the world today um, that are charged by politics that are super controversial and polarizing. And, you know, y'all engage in these conversations every day. I try to stick to faith in business um, and things where I have experience, expertise. And so whereas I have an opinion about a lot of things, like I have an opinion about a whole bunch of stuff that's happened in the world over the past few years. Um, but this is a little different because um, experience causes you to go from, you know, opinion to perspective um, and insight. And so for me, I have worked almost 17 years um, in corporate America in a Fortune 100 organization. And, you know, I'm black. You feel what I'm saying? I am black. Uh, I'm from Detroit. So I started off uh, right out of college at the most entry level position you can have at the organization I work for. Um, and so I have a unique perspective in these 16 years, almost 17 that I've been at this Fortune 100 organization. I have um, gone from entry level and I've had um, eight roles in 16 years. So on average, every two years, I've taken a new role. Some have been promotions, some have been lateral. And I find myself in a senior sales manager uh, position and still growing my career, Lord willing, as we speak today. So my perspective is that of someone who has been in corporate America long enough to kind of see the landscape of the world change, to see things around me change, people change, policies change. Some of those things for the better, some of those things for the worse. But what I am here to tell you is that every coin has two sides. So that's the one thing I want to start off this conversation with um, as we kind of untangle the web. I believe a lot of people like to have these conversations from a political perspective as if like if you're a Democrat, oh, y'all just 100 percent right. If you're a Republican, oh, my side is just 100 percent right. So I kind of want to kill that vibe right off the top right here like 
That's not the perspective I'm coming from. I'm coming from a perspective that tries to see both sides, but I'm going to present a unique perspective that I have not heard my perspective anywhere. I've only listened to a couple of people talk about this whole topic of affirmative action. This is something that I've thought about for years as an African-American in corporate American, uh, corporate America. I can talk to people. Y'all know I can talk. As an African-American in uh, corporate America, came to corporate America from the east side of Detroit, fresh out the hood, baby. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I was not uh, somebody who grew up um, understanding how to grow your career, how to network. I didn't come from a whole bunch of money or something or like my parents didn't have these crazy connections. Like I really, really, when you say started from the bottom, I really, really started from the bottom. And I had to teach myself a lot of things. I'm also a college, I can talk. I'm a college graduate. Um, I graduated with a business marketing degree. And here's what I could tell you. Um, the funny thing about college in general, which is gonna be some of my perspective is that college does not actually measure intelligence the way that we act like it does. And it doesn't even prepare us um, for a lot of the things that we need to navigate the world after college in the first place. So I walked away from a pretty good business school uh, with a 3.3 grade point average in my major, a 2.6 grade point average in my general studies. Um, as you see, I increased as we got to the focus, baby. You feel what I'm saying? But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I walked away with a 3.3 in my business marketing courses and my major courses. And there was still so much I did not know when I graduated college. Like, this, I, I don't want to, I love my school, much love, you know what I'm saying? I'm not even going to say the name after I made it seem like y'all didn't teach me nothing. But at the end of the day, my point is that there was still so much more to learn um, after college. So, like, I want to get us off this whole idea that the whole aspect of college and academics is like, it just teach you all this stuff about life. Now, there are also different areas of study. So meaning you studying to be a pilot that's a, or a doctor, that's a lot different than studying um, for social scientists or uh, social sciences or even business um, or even literature or journalism or whatever. Right. So there are certain aspects to think about um, as you measure intelligence or academic academics or book smart and um, how you measure all these things. So we're going to talk about a bunch of that stuff. But you know what I forgot? I forgot to play my intro. So I'll be back in 30 seconds. This is episode 206, Affirmative Reaction. You don't want to miss the things that I'm going to kick it on today. But please do come with an open mind. If not... Stop saying what you're going to do till you do what you said. When you opened that Bible, you knew what you read. You felt it deep in your soul. The promise did not expire. Be inspired. I can see beyond the tears you cry And the pain you feel I saw every hill you had to climb Just to make it here When you say you ain't afraid to die Is it fake or fear? Yo, what up, what up, people? We back. This is episode 206. Shout out to everybody in the comments. The I can talk cups. When they gonna go on sale? I don't know what to tell you. I got you, though. You'll get one. I got you. Um, What up, what up, everybody, though? All right, so let's kick it, man. Um, So first things first. I want to untangle the web because this whole affirmative action topic is really tangled up in a bunch of other stuff. Now, here's the thing that I don't particularly enjoy about politics in today's society and culture and the way that we discuss politics, because 
we what we do is we tangle up a bunch of topics, right? So a bunch of like very taboo or polarizing and you know, deep controversial topics like abortion and gender and you know, affirmative action and diversity and equity and inclusion. And what we do is we tangle all of these things up. They all have very unique aspects to them, unique aspects that need to be viewed through a specific or particular lens to properly understand them. But what we do is we weave them together and then we tell people, choose one, choose a side based on this web that I've weaved together over the past 40 years and made it very confusing. And I've taken topics that you agree with. I've taken topics that you disagree with. I've provided um, political figures, some that you love, some that you hate, some that you only support because you hate the other person. And like what we've done in society today, vaccines and COVID and, oh, you're the, you're the anti-vaxxers. You're the, va like we start labeling each other based on all of these different things that we weave and web together. And it's like this spider web that you are stuck in and you don't know how to get out and you don't know how to talk about it. So most people are either silent or most people just agree with whatever is said on TV or whatever your side of the political ram tells you to agree with. And that is the way that we digest and regurgitate a lot of the information around politics today. And that's why I don't particularly in a lot of cases, enjoy talking about things publicly that are politically triggered because to me, they lack intelligence, logic, um, objectivity. Um, they're full of bias, um, surface level, a lot of times even ignorance. So the first thing I want to tell you before we start this conversation or the first part of this conversation is I want to detangle the web. Right now, today, I am discussing affirmative action. I'm not coming to you as a Democrat. I'm not coming to you as a Republican. I'm not coming to you as an anti this or a pro that. I'm a Christian. I'm a black guy. I was born and raised in Detroit. I've worked in corporate America for 16 and a half years. And I have a unique perspective to share because of my experience. Like, don't try to box me in. I'm going to be honest, by the time I'm finished, I'm going to say something that you agree with or disagree with, regardless of what side that you're on. So if you have an open mind, if you're a believer, just know that my intention is to have us to think outside of the box. And my overall intention is to find a way to bring us together and unite us, especially as believers in Christ. And that is the goal of this show. And so just understand that whereas we live in a society where some of the things I'm going to say are going to make you want to box me in like you are used to boxing in people or categorize me as something. And I'm telling you, I'm not that flat out. I'm not that on either side. Like if you point the finger, you try to categorize what I'm saying, you're going to be wrong. So now that we've started to detangle the web, let's kick it about this affirmative action decision and topic at large. All right. So first of all, first of all, I'm not going to try to act like I'm some legal expert and I understand every aspect of the law. I haven't followed the case. I don't have time. Like I said, I work in corporate America. I work a lot of hours a day and um, I'm super busy and I got this podcast going on. So I'm a husband. I got all kind of stuff going on. So I don't have time to follow every aspect, but I've lived this life. Right. Um, so the first thing I want to do is like, let's take a step back and think about this affirmative action. I'm going to be I'm going to talk a lot about specific to Harvard today, uh, mostly because that's the school that was the university that was in the lawsuit. 
Um, but also it's one of the most prestigious universities in the country. So I think if you kind of start at the top, you can um, deconstruct and understand some of the things that's going on. So we have this situation where you think about the pros and cons of affirmative action. It's like, how do I feel about affirmative action? Well, you have a situation where in this particular case that race is considered as you think about, as you um, have consider who's admitted into a college. So on one hand, you could feel like, hey, man, that's not fair. That in and of itself is discriminatory because you are now trying to fill a quota based on someone's race. I feel it. I get it. I understand why on the surface somebody could think that. But then the, the next thing my mind go, goes to is why. Here's the first thing we have to ask ourselves. Why was affirmative action ever necessary? That's a deep question when you think about it, right? So if you ask the question, why was affirmative action ever necessary in the first place? You will hopefully come to the realistic conclusion that it is because um, blacks were uh, racially discriminated against in America. Now, let me also say this. I love being an American. I think it's an amazing country. Um, I don't think it's a perfect country or has had the perfect history, but I'm not one of those people that want to throw the baby away with the bathwater, so to say, um, figure of speech. Um, I love being an American. I love the freedoms that comes with it. Um, so yeah, that's me on that. I'm not anti-American. I want to make that very clear. But I also want to be real about the fact that this country, specific to black people, right, has not had the greatest history. Now, I don't think every white person is racist. I don't blame every modern day white person for everything that has happened in history. I also think there was some great white people who helped um, progress um, the freedom for blacks in America as well. Right. So there's a lot of nuance to that. But the fact of the matter of it is that racism did exist, does exist in America. Prejudice has existed uh, for a long time, but particularly in the past. Right. I think uh, what is uh, John F. Kennedy might have been the first one to, to coin the term affirmative action in relation to the way that we use it today with race. That's like a quote straight from the Internet. So I just want you to know that I read that somewhere earlier today. Um, but so in the 60s, I believe it was this this term and this this thought of affirmative action came into play uh, the way that we think about it today. And when you think about that, it's like, OK, I mean, my grandmother is 80 something years old. Um, I talked to my grandmother. I can I've talked to my parents about certain things they experienced growing up. I've seen pictures. I've like seen documentaries. One thing I know for sure. Let's get this out the gate. Is that there was is racism, prejudice, segregation in America, right? Let me take a sidebar and talk to my people. Um, this is one of the things that, that is interesting to me about politics in general. You get people and why I feel like politics makes us illogical. You'll have people, for instance, that, um, you know, on either side of the vaccine, right? So some people wanted you to lose your job if you didn't have a vaccine. Some people, you know, felt like, you know, you, you had to get it. Some people didn't want it, right? So you have all these different things where at the end of the day, we should have had the right to do what we want to do with our own bodies. But different people fall on different sides, right? That happened. I heard people who were um, talking about COVID say shutting down the businesses, for instance, closing businesses down, putting us in the house. They like, man, that set us back 20 years. Our economy today, when you look at the fact that Disney slash ESPN, they have just let go of about 7,000 employees. I think um, Disney is getting rid of a lot of them at ESPN. Some of our favorite personalities 
as a direct reflection of closing down those parks during COVID, right? What is my point with this? When you close down those parks during COVID, it wasn't just about the three months, four months, or a year that the parks were closed. To make up the revenue, to make up for lost time, will take years of setback. They have had to cut people who were talented, um, get rid of shows. Like, there's so much. If you just follow this, I'm just using Disney as an example. This is public. I'm not bashing Disney. My point is, when you look at that aspect of when you take take something and hold it back for a particular amount of time in order to bring it back up to speed sometimes takes unprecedented measures. So here's the first thing that I could tell you as it relates to affirmative action um, is the fact that it was necessary in the first place because there was racial injustice. There were people abusing power who weren't given opportunities to um, African-Americans, right, in America. And similar to just like the COVID, um, the pandemic, the effect that it had on our economy today, right now today, like um, I think last month was the first month in a long time that Jerome Powell and the Fed did not raise the interest rates, but there's expected to be another slight rate hike um, even next month, potentially, um, or in the next, on the next, I think it's next month. Don't quote me on that. But my, my point is that We've gone through this whole year of inflation and the economy and stocks and investments are up and down. And all of this is a direct impact of the pandemic. Car prices have inflated because there was a chip shortage. And all these things happen because of one or two years of something going wrong. So I want you to think about something realistically, right? This ain't about playing a victim. This, this I'm just right now unpacking the facts before I really dig into this topic. Because you got to be willing to look at the facts, right? So if you look at the fact that African-Americans were enslaved for 400 years in this country, then spent the next 100 years, you know, 90, 85, 90 years before the 60s came, what was it? Slavery ended in 1870-something, I think. So you take the 1960s when um, affirmative action was even introduced, you know, what, what's that? 85 years after uh, slavery even ended. So when you think about even just the idea of like there were 400 years of slavery and a hundred years of discrimination. I mean, do you actually think that black people in America could recover as a whole? Like in how long? Because from two years of a pandemic, we are still in economic disarray. We are still um, hurting to recover um, fiscally in our economy. Businesses are struggling from two years of a little bit of struggle, not to minimize the impact of COVID. My question is 500 years. That's generations of people who didn't get a job who didn't get a promotion, who had to work a certain job, who had to drink dirty water, who weren't allowed to go get the best educations. The first thing we just got to be real with before we even fully discuss this is why was it necessary? So now we've gotten that. We understand, at least if you agree with me, that affirmative action was necessary in the first place because there was 
some level of discrimination till still taking place. There were laws like the Black Codes and the Freedmen's Bureau that happened after the freedom of slavery. And one of the, I think one of the myths that happened is that people think when the slaves became free, oh, well, bam, y'all free, cool, go get a job, go do what you do. And that is just not the case, right? I wish it were the case. I'm not blaming you if you listen to this. You don't have to feel sorry for me. I'm just actually addressing the issues of why. So now if we fast forward to 2023, um, if we go ahead and say now today, affirmative action is no longer necessary. Now, the, the question is, what does that actually mean? That would have to mean that, A, we have made a huge improvement since the 1960s as it relates to discrimination um, and on our own. I'm not talking about keep in mind, because if the if the law goes away, then now you have now you are expecting that the people themselves have actually changed, meaning that we are more unified that there is no racism or prejudice or people aren't looking at black people as lesser or less smart or qualified or things like that. And there's this parody that, Hey, let's get rid of affirmative action because like, yo, we gonna, you might see the numbers increase because we, that we have that much parody. Look, there's a lot that can be argued about that. I definitely think we are in overall better times um, than we were in the 1960s. Um, and there's a lot of things that will support that. But at the same time, it's like, OK, if we take that away, where are we going? All right. Now, let me keep it going from there. The other thing is. I would have to say an argument against affirmative action can be in this particular case, if you are bringing in black students, right, who are lesser qualified than, I think this was sparked by Asians actually, right? So this isn't even necessarily a black and white thing. Uh, and don't quote me on that. I think this was an Asian group um, or the Asian community. No offense if I'm wrong. Look, you know, it is what it is at this point. We're talking about it. So it would have to say that there's this huge discrepancy that has happened because you have let these black people in who are not qualified um, based on whatever standards or someone is more qualified than them who's not being admitted, then that would begin to say that what we should see is we should see some problems with those blacks that have been administered, admission, ad, admission. Hold on. We need the cup. I can't talk, people. I know how to talk. What I'm saying is like the, the graduation rates of these blacks should be lower than the whites and the Asians, or there should be this huge drop off because if these people aren't qualified, they really should be failing out of the school and the affirmative action program should not be working. Right. So we're going to look at some of the data and statistics right from Harvard and some other sources, because my thing is, I actually want to understand, is that the case? Right. So I want to I want to look at this thing in its totality and say, like, yo, like, well, maybe like, let me just be fair. Maybe we like they letting in black people who ain't qualified because this is a meritocracy and you want the best of the best. Right. That's one of the legitimate arguments out there is like you don't want to lower your standards and then bring in this group of people who aren't necessarily qualified to be there. And then you ruin the whole situation in the first place. So let's look at that. Cause I think that's fair. Like I do. I actually think that is 
a fair thing to look at. So let's we gonna we gonna take a look at a couple tabs, people. You feel what I'm saying? Hey, let me go back and see how I'm showing up here. All right, cool. That's cool. All right, so let's take a look at a couple tabs. This is actually college.harvard.edu. This is Harvard's actual admissions website that we're looking at here. So I just want you to understand that this is Harvard College Admissions and Financial Aid. We're not, we're going right to the source, baby. A brief profile of the admitted class of 2026. So let's look at what this says. I think this is interesting. There were 61,221 people who applied to go to Harvard. 1,984 of them actually were admitted. 36 of them, a whole 36, were admitted from the waiting list. I think this is a little less than 4%, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's like 4%. 10% would be 6,100. 5% would be 3,500. I meant 3,050. Wait, did I say 6,100, 3,050? Yeah, so this is, this is, I mean, this is less than 4%, like 3.6, 3.4%, something like that. So the first thing I actually want to address here is let's be real about the fact that only about 4% of people get admitted to Harvard anyway. Anyway. So yes, this is tough to get into. Which means there will undoubtedly, 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 which one is it? I don't know. Let's do the cup, even though we're on a small screen. There will undoubtedly be people who are qualified, overqualified, who will not be admitted into this university. So if only three to four percent of people who are actually being admitted um, who who actually apply or admit it. A, I can't understand why you would be mad if you feel like there's any chance of a way that you were qualified and did not get admitted. I get that. All right, cool. But because there's so small of a percentage, on the flip side, I could say, hey, there you have to live with the fact only 4% of people get in this school. There's going to be 96% of people, I'm sure you're not even really uh, applying to Harvard if you're not one of the smartest people on your block. So that means, yo, yo, this is just reality. So we have to find measures to slice through, right? Okay, cool. Let's keep it moving. Uh, geographical back breakdown doesn't matter to me. Ethnicity. Here we go, people. This is according to harvard.edu. So the ethnicity of the class of 2026 15.2% are African-American. Great. 27.9% uh, are Asian-American. Amazing. Right? So uh, they are 28% are Asian-American. I think that's amazing. Hispanic or Latino, 12.6%. Native American, 2.9%. Native Hawaiian, 0.8%. That leaves the 40% of students admit, um, administered into Harvard are Caucasian white students. All right, so you have whites leading the way at 40%, Asian Americans at just under 30%. I mean, man, that's almost 70 right there. You feel what I'm saying? 
African Americans and Latinos representing respectfully 15 and 12.6 percent. Nothing wrong there. Um, this is the majors that they're majoring in. Most people are going into social sciences and humanities at Harvard, which was actually quite interesting to me. And the financial aid um, type or whatever does not actually matter. So, all right, first things first, if you look at this, the fact of the matter is Asians are rep Asian Americans are representing 28% of the applicants. You have African Americans at 15%. Now, one of the things that I also find very interesting um, right now, we're just looking at the facts is like what is actually considered, right? Like how are they actually um, choosing the students who are admitted into Harvard? Because if you have 96% of students are not going to be admitted, then you got to have a thorough process, right? Now, here's one of the things I want you to think about um, as we think about how you how you choose and select anything, right? I invest stocks, cryptocurrencies. You know, when you're investing, one of the first things people tell you to do, diversify your portfolio. Okay, great. Why? Well, you want to have a mixture of things. Some things are going to go good when others go bad, like you want a, a proper mix. Okay, good. So diversifying your portfolio in finances is, hey, that's pretty good. If you are a football coach, and you are bringing in a football team. If you got 50 players on a football team, do you want 47 quarterbacks? I mean, let's just say the top 47 uh, student athletes in the country were all quarterbacks. And you have five picks in the draft. There's no way that you would pick all quarterbacks. Hey, no, you need a couple quarterbacks. You need a running back. You need a wide receiver. You need a team because those differences, somebody can catch, some can run, some can throw. You need all of those things. Some can block. You need all of those different skill sets on a team. You don't want a team of just all the top quarterbacks on your football team because you're going to lose because quarterbacks can't block, they can't catch, and they can't tackle, right? So quarterbacks, you need other positions to be filled diversifying your team here's the other thing when you're looking at the scores if you're if you're a person that's in the sports and you're choosing you know or you picking anything like i don't know like women you watch uh what is it um dancing with the stars or something like if a person can move their feet the fastest because they're the best salsa dancer but if the if the show is made up of salsa hip-hop tango and all of these different styles the person that's just the best in one category, that's not how you judge anything. Like, okay, you spent your whole life focusing on salsa, and I focused on three other things. I can move my arms better than you move yours, but you are just the master of the feet. Okay, cool. My point is, at the end of the day, the way you measure anything in life is like, okay, I'm picking the best basketball player. Okay, maybe the best scorer is the best player, but maybe they aren't. Maybe Draymond Green does not score a lot of points and there's 50 people in the NBA who score more points than him, but maybe he's a bas better basketball player because of other things. So one of the things I want to think about, this is really a beyond affirmative action, is how we select and choose things in life. I don't think that most times we actually have a problem with diversity. You get what I'm saying? Specific to just the concept of diversity. All right. 
Now I want to look at something else. Let's now look at, we want to share. We got to share our screen. Um, how to get into Harvard. Let's look at that. All right, let me make sure we good. Yeah, we good, we good. This is a this is from collegetransitions.com. Let me see. When did I when is this? Uh they don't have a date. Oh no, May 17th. So this is from May 17th. This data again, collegetransitions.com. Um, where was Harvard founded? All of these things. But this is what I wanted to look at. We looked at the class of 2026. Let's look at the class of 2027. Uh, no, no, that's not what I want to look at. Hold on, right? No, no, no. I want to look at how to get in Harvard. How to get in Harvard. Well-rounded is not enough. Okay, here's the thing that I wanted to kind of look at. Um, Well-rounded is not enough. Harvard, what they do and how they rate applicants is right here. They assigned a rating of one to four or one to six in some categories with one being the top rating in four areas academic, extracurricular, athletics, and professional. So the way that Harvard um, measures how you get into their school is academic, extracurricular, athletics, and personal. Personal is a very tricky one to me, um, and I'm going to come back to that a little later. Um, but let's see, the acceptance rate. Here we are for 2027. You will see. So what's the difference between 2026 and 2027? Asian Americans went from 27.9% to 29.9%. Hispanics dropped to 11.3%. African Americans were fairly flat at 15.3%, um, whereas last year or 2026 was 15.2%, and Native Americans were at 2%. Here's the other tricky thing. It's this line right here. Amazingly. One study revealed that 43% of the white students admitted into Harvard in the last six years were either legacies, meaning their parents were alumni, recruited athletes, no, nothing against you there, children of faculty members, or teens whose relatives had donated large amounts of money to the university. I find that to be very, very interesting. So you have this idea that as it relates to Harvard, the first things, and again, we're just looking at the data now because I want to look at the data fairly. So if I look at the class of 2026, Asian Americans grew from 27.9% to 29.9%. So they had 2% growth to their admission rate. African Americans were flat. Um, that 2% probably came, it could have came from the, the Caucasian um, American group, not sure. Uh, they didn't really say where, you know, where it dropped. But what I want to say is, all right, Asian American group. And this is nothing against Asian Americans. I want to be clear there. We're just looking at this data. And I believe this lawsuit was kind of started with this in mind. So I want to look at these numbers so that we understand what is like I want to see. Is there a gaping hole? Is there something wrong? Is there something that I'm missing? Uh, is there something that we're missing or not considering that's that's unfair to someone? Right or pre presenting some unfair advantage. But the other thing that's really interesting to me is that for the the um, the white students, 43% of them are legacy students. And when you, when you think about what legacy students are, again, they're either means your parent was either an alumni, 
athletics does count as legacy. So that mess, let's say if that discounted 5%, I don't know, they don't tell you the percentage, but let's say if it was even 38%, right? But um, your parents um, were alumni or um, someone in your family donated, made huge amounts of donations to the, the university, those things would be considered to allow you a greater chance over someone else. Remember, this is a very competitive university to get into. Only 3.4 to 3.5% per of applicants are admitted. So you have people who are using anything to their advantage to get in there when something is competitive. So could I be mad at a legacy student? Not necessarily. If my mom went there, my dad went there, or my uncle donated $5 million to your athletic facility, all right, cool. There's going to be a percentage of um, legacy students that get admitted. But here's the thing. We're talking about affirmative action. Well, if you have, so, so let's say if you were like, hey, yeah, well, black people go get your cake up and, you know, get some millions of dollars so, so you could donate and so you could become a legacy student or your kids can. Here's the problem. Whenever you have, and this is where this is so tricky, right? If I go back, my grandmother's still alive. She's in her 80s. If I go talk to my grandmother, um, she's going to tell me a bunch of stories about being in Alabama and walking to school with no shoes on and all this stuff. This lady was born in, what, the 40s or something, the late 30s to 40s. So she's a very interesting, uh, loving lady, but she has some crazy stories. Some of the things she tells me about growing up in Alabama are unreal to me. But she was born in the 40s, which means her parents were roughly born in the late teens to 20s, which means their parents would have been born in the early um, late 1800s to early 1900s. What that means is that my grandmother's grandparents would have been fresh out of slavery. And this is where where this is important to me, is that when you look at the idea, we, we throw this term around a lot these days, generational wealth. You hear this term thrown out a lot, generational wealth. I want to build generational wealth well that means you have enough money for generation and generations that if if my grandmother would have had the opportunity to make millions that she would have been able to create opportunities even for me because i'm only two generations removed but she was two generations removed from slavery she was born in a time where there weren't a lot of opportunities for blacks where she couldn't go to school with white people Right. So she didn't have the opportunity. My grandmother being a hard worker that she was, um, she fled Alabama to Detroit. I'm not going to tell her story. I'll leave that to her. But um, she fled Alabama to Detroit. She came here. She worked about 35, 36 years, if I'm not mistaken, in a um, in an automotive plant. Right. And that is how she um, made a living. Right. She's owned her home since forever. Um, and she she made a living. Right. Um, not a high education, not generational wealth, right? Because when you work in an automotive plant, you are spending all of your time. I mean, that is labor and that is a lot of time that a lot of hours over time, people who work in the plants know that you live in those plants, right? Your perspective of life is going to be a little different. My grandmother's, um, the, what she preached to my father, as an example, was go get you a job at a plant. You didn't go to college. So what happens is you start seeing the, the like the generational impact of 
of the difference between someone having an opportunity for education and advancement versus someone being prevented from that, just like COVID, just like shutting down these businesses for six months or a year has an economic impact. Look, we only did that for a year or some six months they were shut down. Imagine being shut down for hundreds of years or a generation or 20 years. Man, you can't tell me that there's not going to be a negative impact to a community that has been specifically held back. Now, let me say this, because anybody who listens to this podcast know I'm not the victim mentality dude, and I'm not done yet. I'm still not the victim mentality. I'm not even saying this stuff to encourage you to have a victim mentality. No, I'm just being real, but this should inspire and encourage you to go get yours. I don't care if you don't invite and enroll me into a college. I don't care if you don't um, promote me on a job. Like, I'm going to find a way. That's the underlying message. We just dealing with the facts. I don't want you to think that um, I'm about to have some big sob story. I don't think everybody's racist. I think people lack perspective. I think people lack experiences with um, people outside of their culture. Also think this is actually more about culture today than skin color. Cause I don't think that a lot of people are just walking around purposely racist or something just because of the color of your skin. I think what happens is people have grown up in bubbles. They've grown up around only people who look think and act like them. And when they see something different, they judge it. I think that is pretty much what happens in the world. Culturally different. I don't understand you. I don't get you. No, I'm going to hire, um, you know, my cousin's friend over here, I'm not hiring you. I'm not, I'm going to admit them into the school because they're more like me. I understand them. That happens in the world, people. I'm not saying you're horrible because of it. It happens all the time. But my point at the end of the day, is that there is a generational impact to these types of decisions and whether or not someone gets a job or an education does matter. Frederick Douglass says something so powerful in his book. I advise you, whether you're black or white, read Up From Slavery by Booker T. Washington and read Frederick Douglass' autobiography. But he says something so powerful when he learned how to read, which was illegal for him because of the fact that he was black. It was illegal for him to learn how to read. He said once he learned how to read, he realized how bad slavery was. Or I think how he worded it was, he didn't actually realize how bad slavery was until he learned how to read. That tells you the power of education, the power of reading and writing and literacy and learning, and the power of the opportunity. If you prevent a group of people specifically because of the color of their skin from something as powerful as learning to read and write, there will be a generational impact negatively. That will be a heck of a lot of a storm to fight through, to get out of. And it will not just be simply because you are, you have this skin color. So now it means you're this way. It's no, you were specifically discriminated against because of this skin color. Now, let me say this to my black people out there. We ain't the only people that ever went through slavery. We're not the only people that has a hard life. We're not like, I'm not one of those people that just think like, oh my God, like whatever. But here's what I do want to say. A lot of times I'll hear people talk about other cultures and the things they went through. I don't want to disrespect any other cultures. So I'm not going to say anything specifically, but I just want to point out something. There is, there is a difference 
if I, now I'm talking about me, I'm not talking about you. If I was born in a, in a country overseas or another country period, and I was discriminated against in my own country, maybe I fled the scene of a war. You hear a lot of immigrant stories. Immigrants are amazing people because they are passionate because they understand the value of America and the freedom it brings. They fled to America from a place that was discriminating against them. The difference between them and African-Americans is that the place they fled to, the freedom place, the best place to live, the best country to live on earth, unfortunately, is the place that did the discriminating and harm and abuse against black people. So some people say, hey, if you don't like it here, just flee. Come on, man. Let's just be real. This is still the best place. But let me let me tell you this. Let's say you go to um, a restaurant. I'm not going to name a specific restaurant, but let's say you go to the premier steakhouse in the United States. Uh, what's that one place? I will name it. It's a place I think it's called French Laundry, something like that. I've never been there. Probably can't afford it because I heard it costs thousands of dollars probably to even get a table. French Laundry. Let's say this is the premier, one of the premier restaurants in the U.S. And people go there and they spend all their money. But let's say you, I'm talking to you, you specifically, regardless of everyone else's reviews, everyone else's experience. Let's say you go to French Laundry and they put a spider on your steak. Are you like, hey, but it's it's French Laundry, though. Like, so I'm going to eat the spider and shut up. No, you can go to a good place and still have a bad experience. You feel what I'm saying? At the same time, being a black person. I don't believe in living a life to project that negative feeling or emotion on everyone else. What I strive to do in my life is to learn from the people before me, listen to the stories of my grandparents, some of my parents that is not as graphic or crazy as my grandparents story or or hard to believe as true as they are. But I've tried to take those things, then look at the opportunities presented to me in today's modern time and say, I am going to take advantage. I'm going to work hard and I'm going to get ahead as far as I can. I am not going to settle for being less. I am not going to blame anyone if I don't want to work hard. Although I do recognize and understand that the people before me may not have had the opportunities that are presented before me. My parents didn't have the opportunities that were presented before me. They weren't raised by people who were educated, who they weren't raised by people who value these type of things. But guess what? I could tell you about my mom. I graduated college. I've been in corporate America. I graduated. I came to corporate America three days before I graduated college. Right. My mom last year went to my alma mater and got her degree, her bachelor's degree. Right. She went the past few years, went to school while working full time. Later in life, she's still young, but later in life and got her bachelor's degree. So see where I come from, that's what I come from. So maybe she couldn't leave me or set me off with millions of dollars or she couldn't go donate millions of dollars to a school so that I can get in there. But my mama did it the other way around. Like, OK, my son went, got his bachelor's degree from here. OK, let's do it. Let's 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 get it in. And she went and got her bachelor's degree. So now me and my mom, like in my office, her she just gave me her degree. Her degree is going to hang in my office next to mine. Same school. 
So you can build a legacy. I don't care what I don't care what these people want to stop you from, fam. Like I'm just telling you straight up, you not stopping me. God can stop me. I honor honor God. I say it humbly, but I am not giving nobody the power over me because of some law, because of this. I'm telling you like this, Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington were born slaves and became advisors of presidents. So what I want to say to some people is, you know, as rough as the affirmative action thing may be, so on and so forth, um, at the end of the day, don't allow yourself to overdo it. I think it's one of the struggles that we have in society today. We get overly emotional about the, you know, the image or impression of something. We start calling everybody as racist, everybody as this and that. And then we start making ourselves victims. The reason that I am not a pro-victim mindset person is because I think it makes you weaker. It actually puts you in position to need to be saved by the people that you are saying are oppressing you. <laughs> I'm not a victim, fam. It's not happening with me. I'm sorry. Like, I am sorry. I resonate more with the vibe of a Frederick Douglass, the mindset of a Booker T. Washington. That's like, even if I was born a slave, you couldn't stop me. How do you go from being born a slave to an advisor of presidents? I remember there was there was a story that Frederick Douglass told in his autobiography about a time that he was traveling and I'm paraphrasing this and maybe missing some details, but he was traveling with a group of white men and he was like one of the people that was, he was prestigious, right? He was an advisor of president, but they made him sit in the, like, they made him sit in like either where the, where the luggage was or where the animals were or something on the trip. Like my man was packed away, like, like a Louis Vuitton bag, you know what I'm saying? Respectfully. So like, but he still went. And advised. My point, man, to people is, look, I'm not pro uh, or I am pro affirmative action personally because I believe it's necessary because I believe, again, I work in corporate America. I've been here 16 years. When you look at the numbers, see, I think sometimes people have opinions about things that they haven't actually seen. Like they haven't been close enough to it to actually look at the data. Or I could tell you from being in corporate America, what happens sometimes is sometimes people will willingly, willfully, whatever. What's, I don't know. I can talk however you're supposed to say it. They don't look at the data because the numbers are staggering. I'm going to tell you just generally speaking, one of the issues in corporate America with black people that you see today, you see um, black people progress through um, their jobs and grow their career right up into executive. So a black person, you'll see um, them kind of grow, grow, grow their career. And right up until when that next step is executive, you see a huge drop off of the number of blacks who are in leadership and executive roles. Now, just like Harvard, I'm the kind of person that says, well, what does the data say? Here's the thing I want to address right now. This is the elephant in the room to me and what I believe is part of the unique perspective. How do we judge or qualify merit? If you say that something is a meritocracy and we say that, hey, only the best people get here, right? Then if, if you're saying with, without affirmative action or any law or thing kind of guiding or governing you, 
if you say, hey, it just is what it is, there is a huge drop off of black people getting to the level of executive or getting to this prestigious college or this next level. Then I got to be honest. Here's the elephant in the room. What we are saying is that black people aren't as smart. To me, that's what we that's what we got to be saying. If we saying it's happening naturally. Right. If 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 there's no influence and there's just a drop off. Like black people, you can start together with all kind of other groups. You can grow, grow, grow. But then you get to a certain point and there's like a glass ceiling. Like, hey, man, I don't know, y'all, you know, for whatever, you know, the color of your skin just maxes you out at a certain point, just organically. All right. So here's what I want to think about through that, because I'm the kind of person, let's be fair. But here's the problem. Similar to the situation with Harvard, where you have 43% of the white students are legacy students. Ah, that's rough. I want to say the number for uh, blacks is around 15% for um, context. 43% are legacy students. So how do we judge that merit? <laughs> so if we're saying that Hey, merit is just about the best of the best. Are we saying that because my mom went there or because my uncle donated $2 million that I am the best of the best? Or do you look at it and say only 4% of people get administered into this school? There are some people that are going to have a skill set of a running back. Some are going to be a quarterback. Some people there, because remember, Harvard measures four things. It was athletics, academics, personal, and extracurricular. So maybe you are an athletic person that had a, a great extracurricular profile, and this person that had 4.0 just feels like they should get there just simply because they had a 4.0. I have another problem with this idea that grades alone makes a person smarter. I do not believe that. And I'm going to tell you why. Remember, I just told you I came into corporate America. I had a degree. So did other people, white, black and other have degrees when they come into corporate America. Yes, a degree does get you in the door. It is something to put on your resume that will make people like trust some aspect of your determination. All right. So let's say that's one check out of the four things we look at. But what you'll find out once you get there is that having a degree once you're there does not often differentiate you from the next person who also has a degree. So when you have multiple qualified individuals, right, you have to look at other aspects. So maybe you got a 4.0 when you were in school. Remember, I told you I only had a 3.3 in my major classes. But you had a 4.0 and you feel like, hey, I'm a better salesperson than him. I should get promoted before him because I had a 4.0. Okay, great. You want to be judged strictly off of your academic knowledge or your ability to take tests. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not a good test taker. You can ask me stuff that I actually know. And if you put it in the form of multiple choice and present answers that look almost kind of the same, but they're slightly different, I might get those wrong today. And I have closed millions of dollars in sales and negotiations. I have walked away from various six-figure deals, business and personal, where people have shook my hand and said, you are a worthy negotiator. 
There have been times I've been in real estate deals where people have looked at my wife when we when it's done. They don't tell you this while it's happening. But when you close and you get done, I've negotiated for vehicles. I've done all type of negotiations where people have respected me, shook my hand. White people, old people, young people. I'm like I've been pulled aside plenty of times in my life because I am a businessman. Okay, so what? You got a 3.9. I'm not saying so what, like it doesn't matter at all. It has some level of value, but if you live in a world where you think book smart is everything, then you don't understand how life works. Here's an example. Just do me a favor and Google successful people. Matter of fact, let's look it up. Gotta look it up, people. Successful people who didn't even graduate college, people, or sometimes didn't even go. Let's look here. This is just a quick Google search. Steve Jobs. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Not the iPhone. Not the iPod. Not the iPad. No, no college degree. You're smarter than Steve Jobs. Great job. Mark Zuckerberg. Hey, Zuck. How's it going, buddy? Hey, buddy. Introducing the Instagram threads today. Mark Zuckerberg didn't graduate. There were people smarter than him at school. Bill Gates, Oprah Winfrey. Oh, Oprah doesn't have a degree. She's not smart. She's not a brilliant business person. You don't have a degree. She's she's not qualified. This is a meritocracy. Uh, remember Oprah, someone told her she wouldn't last on TV. Oh my God, these people don't know how to judge talent beyond a piece of paper and a test. It is the easiest thing to do is look at some test. Oh, um, you got a whatever on your ACT or SAT or whatever T T T T T T T T. You got this, or you're smarter than everybody. I'm not saying that has no value. I'm not saying that you might not have a great IQ or be able to uh, be a human calculator. I'm saying that there are jobs and aspects of life beyond that. There are jobs where you have to be a human being. Oh, hey, Brad Pitt, you didn't graduate college? Not a good actor, buddy. Not a good actor. You got to graduate. Let's look down here. I don't even know some of these people. Harrison Ford, Mr. Indiana Jones, no college? No way. Come on, people. What is my point? The point I'm making at the end of the day, you feel me, is like, you have to learn how to measure intelligence beyond a book or a test. It matters. We're not done looking at Harvard statistics yet, so stay with me here. I'm building up to a unique perspective and a, and a really good point here. My point is, I've been in corporate America 16 years, almost 17. I've been passed over before. I've been told you know, that I'm not good enough for certain things before. And then I've watched people that, okay, wow, so this person, for whatever reason, gets an opportunity, great. What I'm saying is that life, there is no, I want y'all to understand something. There is no way to make it completely fair. Harvard only has a 3.8% admission rate. Someone is not getting in. And we can come up with every reason and blame this or blame that. But the fact of the matter is there are more than one, there is more than one way to look at how you're admitted into the school and I don't necessarily think looking at race makes it a negative thing. And I'm not done making my point there. 
when I look at Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington, and I say, all right, this is a guy who was a slave, who was illiterate at a point in his life. Let's say we would have judged him at 18 years old and said, you know what, hey, buddy, you're just not as smart as the next person. He's one of the most brilliant people. Do you know, you look at Harriet Tubman, are you going to tell me Harriet Tubman doesn't have a college degree, she's not smart? To orchestrate what she orchestrated makes her brilliant. We have to learn how to see different levels of brilliant beyond a book. It is proof in all the athletes like a LeBron James who never stepped foot in a college but build multi-million or billion-dollar businesses who um, are brilliant storytellers and have skill sets beyond what someone could judge them on in a, in a test. And there are countless others people black white anything else who are literally genius like there is no book that can measure the book the the genius of a harriet tubman you understand what i'm saying the genius to escape slavery like people like frederick Douglass. do you understand you want to say hey can you lead strategy in my business organization can i lead strategy i can escape the hands of death who are you to tell me I can't lead strategy? Do you know how brilliant some of these drug dealers in the hood are? Some of these people are navigating. And I'm talking like, listen, I wish people would go legal because there are some people who are out here running illegal drug organizations and crime organizations who would be brilliant business people, but are being told they're not because they didn't go to school. What, what I'm telling you is... This idea that we have to overly measure someone's overall intelligence by the grades they receive from a standardized, standardized test is not the only measure of intelligence in the world. If that was the case, someone who was born a slave would never be able to become an advisor to presidents. These are brilliant men and women. Have you like, and so, all right, here's the reason I'm focusing on this. Whenever you're not from a particular culture, you don't know how to always rank or judge them. Culture, not skin color. What's my point? There have been times in my life, Fred, this is just an example. There have been times in my life where I have been able to tell that someone has recognized me as a threat, right? Whether it's like a, a woman from another culture grabbing her purse or whatever, like, oh, because I'm like, you know, this happens in life. I'm not complaining about it, but like, I'm just telling y'all like legitimately this happens where you, you could feel that, oh, I'm perceived as a threat or I'm being looked at a certain way um, because they're not used to being around black people. And I'm going to tell y'all a little secret here on Inspire Guys People. I've had a lot of white friends throughout my life white people, uh, well, not throughout my whole life, throughout my adult life. I've had people from other cultures who trust me enough to have conversations with me. And they've told me, they've admitted to me, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, I kind of was looking at black people different. Not going to lie to you. When some black people move next door to me, my parents said, don't hang out with those N-words. I have had people in confidence tell me these things. So I'm not saying because people told me it makes it the truest thing ever. Maybe it's anecdotal in my life experience, but I just understand the realistic nature of the fact that 
when people are not from your culture, they misjudge you. And what do I mean? When There have been times when people saw me as a threat and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like in my own hood, I'm the silly school kid, basketball player. Those are like class clown, basketball player, serious or um, kind of a, you know, wise guy, I guess. Like, you know, um, intellectual, whatever. People come to me for advice. That's been my reputation my whole life. So imagine like me being around someone who's not familiar with my culture and miss because they saw somebody on TV with the same skin color. I'm like, you need to spend more time around black people for your own safety, because if you think I'm the threat, then it means you don't know how to identify the real threat. That's just an example to say this. There are times and I've seen this in corporate America where if you don't have the exact same type of skill set that the next person that someone is used to them having, they don't know how to judge your brilliance. They don't know how. That's why you can see an Oprah and tell her, you're not going to last on TV because she doesn't look like what you've seen before. And this can go either way. This could go black, white people. Black people could do this to whites or whatever, or any, any race or ethnicity. But what I'm saying at the end of the day is that this is why I believe we have to learn how to be united and integrate, especially as believers. I need to be able to talk to more white people to understand their perspective, to understand how they grew up, how they view things. They need to be able to talk to me and understand me because at the end of the day, as believers, we should be and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And this world will present any and everything to divide us. Now, here's a couple more things I want to look at in relation to this um, affirmative action thing. I think this one is very, very interesting, guys. Um, Ivy League statistics. Uh, which one do I want to go to first? Let's go to this first. Let's go to this Ivy League statistics. And this is specifically on IvyCoach.com. These statistics are from 2015 on purpose. What I wanted to do as I was having this conversation was say, all right, sometimes when something is trendy like this news article, you start getting a lot of biased articles, a lot of biased information coming forth because people are either for or against this ruling. And I was really trying to get to like, what is a, a fair way to look at the, the statistics? How have they changed since 2015? Uh, we looked at the 26, 27. Um, statistics where, as an example, African American around 15 to 15.3%. Asian American go from 27.9 to 29.9% emission rate. White um, emissions are around that 40% mark. So if we go back, you know, eight years, what was it like then, right? 34,000 students apply. So you have a lot more students applying now at 60 something thousand. And here's the crazy thing back then in 2015, you had 34,000 students apply to Harvard, 2,100 students were admitted, 6.2% were um, of the applicants, which is interesting because only about 1,900 are um, actually admitted now with 64,000 or 61,000 applicants for that 3.4-3.5% applicant uh, acceptance rate. They were at a 6.2% acceptance rate, um, you know, eight years ago. So the first things first, one of the trends we've seen at Harvard, if you look at this data, assuming this data is factual, um, which I have no believe, reason to believe it's not. But if you're going off of IvyCoach.com, 2015 data, um, then what you've seen is this trend at Harvard 
is that there have been almost twice as many more applicants um, over the past few years and their acceptance rate has almost chopped in half. That's interesting to me. So over twice as many applicants and half as many acceptance from a percentage rate going from a three point uh, from a 6.2 to 3.4%. I don't know what the reason for that is, but what's my overall point? It has become harder to get into Harvard over time. Over the past eight years, it's become significantly tougher to be accepted into a school that's already tough to be accepted into. Interesting. Now let's look at the ethnic diversity right here. Ethnic diversity, Asian Americans were 17.8% eight years ago. Okay, that's great. So what that means is that the Asian American acceptance rate or, or population of their acceptance has gone from 17.8% in 2015. It has now increased up to 29% for the class of 2027. So they have seen an 11, 12% increase rate in the percentage of Asian Americans who are accepted into Harvard. Kudos to y'all. Congratulations. Imagine under the circumstances where there are twice as many applicants, half as many admit, um, accepted, and you have in those conditions managed to grow 11% of the admission and acceptance rate. I mean, that to me is astronomical. African-American goes from 11.8% to 15.2%. So, you know, what's that? 3.4% increase. Right, not bad. Asian-Americans have grown three times as much as that, right? Two and a half times as much as that, if you want to get technical or something. Latinos, 12%, so on and so forth. That would have put, um, I believe, the white population in that, let's see, 17, so let's call it 18 12, 30, 42, 43, 40. So, I mean, that would have put the white population at, um, what's that, 54, 55%. And now they're down to, did I say 40%? So you've actually seen a huge steep decline in the white students administered, accepted in the Harvard, going from 55 to 40%, while you've seen this huge steep um, incline, right? So that is a 15% difference um, for the white students accepted and 12 of those percentage points have gone to Asian Americans. So that is the turnaround. That is what you have seen, um, in the past eight years as it relates to Harvard admissions. Great. Cool. All we're doing right now is simply understanding the numbers because to me, we could sit here and have all these arguments and all of these opinions that are just based on emotion and we could be divided or we could actually just understand like the numbers. So I want to say something right now. So far, I want to be honest. I'm not really seeing where the threat was with African-Americans in particular. Right. There's only been a three percent increase in the acceptance rate for African-Americans in the past eight years. I'm not seeing how that still only representing 15% of the acceptance rate. Like I'm not seeing how that is like some unprecedented, like crazy negative thing, right? But I do want to look at one more thing before we get out of here. 
And one of the questions I asked myself, wanting to be fair, was how are the black students performing though? Because I think what would be fair is if you said, hey, y'all are lowering the standard and allowing students who are not qualified to attend Harvard to come to this university simply because they're black. And if that is the case, and then these kids are getting here and they're not qualified, so they're failing out and they're not becoming successful, so it's actually hurting them, then I'm going to be honest, I would have to consider if this is the case, all right, maybe they have a point because that means you're not qualified. So let's look at the numbers. And I, I'm going to be honest, I looked at these numbers from several sources and I just chose one to share, but they were all the same which within like one percentage point of each other. So this is on, uh, what is this, jbhe.com. Uh, I forgot what that stands for because it's in the background. Uh, these numbers are from 2013 graduation rates, right? So I wanted to look at, again, the reason I went with older data is because I didn't want anything. A lot of the data now, it might be triggered by, by the story itself, but I did look at modern data and it's roughly the same, right? So this... this um information was pulled together, this data, because there was a concern that Blacks were not graduating from prestigious universities at the exact rate as whites in America, right? So it, the, the chart that we're looking at here, it kind of shows the institution. So let's go with this first one with Leslie College, 89% uh, gra uh, graduate rate for whites. 92 graduation rate for blacks. You'll see these first five schools where the blacks have a slight advantage by one to two, one to three percentage points. And then really from there you go flat, flat, flat. Let's call anything up to 3% flat. Then you go like negative four, negative 5%. I would say make it maybe negative 5% on average. And then you do have this group of um, universities on the far right bottom Um there are about six universities where there is a significant difference between uh, the black and white um, graduation rate. But here's what I want to find. Where is Harvard on here? Harvard right here. 98 percent um, graduation rate for whites, 97 percent graduation rate for blacks flat, a one percent difference. That's significant. I can tell you that all of the data I looked at supports those numbers within a range of one to 2%. So here's what I gathered from the little bit of data that we've reviewed today. The graduation rate for these Blacks students who may have been admitted to this university partially because of their race, along with the other factors that are looked at to join Harvard, they are qualified. <laughs> so here's where it becomes tricky. You say because you went to a certain school or you had a certain SAT score that you are more qualified than me. But if academics are not the sole source of qualification, how can you say that? If these black students are being admitted to this university simply because they're white and they are graduating from Harvard with a 97% graduation rate, rate, 
then please tell me, well, man, black people must be super smart. You must be able to just choose somebody just because they black and I can go to Harvard. Like, you mean to tell me you could have just selected me like, hey, you black, just come to Harvard. And, and so here's one of the, the reasons that I'm pointing this out is because that's what we make it seem like. Here's what I want to tell you. The reason that we need diversification is to allow individuals from different parts of the world, different walks of life. And as it relates to African-Americans, these students who may be partially attending this school to meet a quota for um, affirmative, affirmative action. Number one, the quota does not significantly swing the percentage rate. So you're not seeing this astronomical. It's not like you're going to Harvard and everybody is black. No, you went from seeing 10 black people to 15 black people. It, it, you're not, it's not like the black takeover. So I don't want us to make it seem like that. Number one, these students are not coming here and not keep like they coming here and doing the same work you're doing. They keeping up with you and they graduating. So maybe what you're saying to me is that a black person with a lower SAT score from a lesser school, a lesser education, from lesser financial background is just magically able to keep up with the big dogs. Like that shouldn't be the case. I'm not saying that's the case. What I'm saying is that what's happening is these people are qualified to be there. They are not simply getting admitted into Harvard University simply because they're black. But what you're allowing is a level of diversity amongst those who are qualified. And maybe this person from this community tends to skew heavier on the extracurricular side or the personal side or something else because they're not going to skew high on the legacy enrollment the way that you can because they don't have the generational growth and background and wealth. Um, they may not um, have the same exact ACT score as you because maybe they didn't go to the school that prepared them for the test the way that you did, but they came to your school with you, got the same grades you got, and graduated at the same rate. Now I want to deal with the last part of this that is the most significant part to me. When you allow, remember, Remember, I'm not saying this as a victim. I'm not saying this to feel sorry for somebody. I am not saying this as part of some political agenda. So please don't make yourself think that now because I agree with you on affirmative action that abortion or all these other things. No, I take the Christian route. I believe my faith is above all of this. My allegiance to Christ is my allegiance. I don't have an allegiance to um, a political party. Like, And so what I'm saying is like, please don't hear what I'm saying and this is the challenge I find with being a independent thinking individual. There are going to be some topics where you're going to it's going to sound like, oh, he's a liberal. He's this. Then there's going to be some topics. Where he's a conservative because that's how we are used to categorizing people. I am a Christian. Like, that's my perspective. That's where I'm coming from. All this other stuff. Like, I'm not on that. So I'm just saying that because I know how people get triggered. Because you hear through the lens of the world that we live in today. So you will start trying to categorize me like that. You can't box me in like you box these other people. I'm not that. So what's my point? At the end of the day, there are other ways to qualify brilliance or a smart person. The reason this is so important is because black people in America 
were specifically prevented from being able to go and get good jobs and to build generational wealth. And there was a setback. And I don't say that as some type of a excuse or a reason to be a victim. It's just a fact, just like an immigrant. Like I, I'm going to say this. I want to be real with y'all. Why do we celebrate when immigrants tell the stories of them escaping their country and how bad and oppressive their country was? And they came to good old great America, which I do think is great. And like we champion that. But if black people just say like, now, nah, don't get me wrong. Some black people go too far. It's a lot of y'all out there to be going too far. Like, that's just facts. Like, and I'm not on that either. But what I'm saying is like, I'm on the facts. And why is it just so wrong if we tell our story? It's like, oh, don't pull the race card or, oh, don't. It's like, well, dang, it's the race card. I don't know. The water fountains before my time, they said whites only. The, the dirty boy said blacks only or coloreds. You know what I'm saying? And it's black people using the word color. I'm not feeling that either. Like, don't like, I'm going to say this. The reason I'm not for the, the, the victim mindset, there's black people out there that's rich and famous and they use their platform to go out here and sing songs like they Harriet Tubman. Bro, you not Harriet Tubman, dog. You in Beverly Hills with a bunch of white people and rich black people and your kids don't go to the school our kids go to. Like, stop trying. I am not for this propaganda or using these platforms to, like, overly romanticize how bad it is so we can paint some picture because I believe that keeps people in oppression. I'm here to call out the fact, the fact that, yes, specifically in America, blacks were held back intentionally because of their skin color, just like when the business is closed down from COVID, there's going to be a domino effect of that. So the importance of affirmative action to me is when something was bad because you intentionally held it back. The only way to potentially help it get back on it in the right direction is to intentionally help it because I don't trust. I'm just being honest as a person that works in corporate America today, loves working in corporate America. And I don't think it's just because everybody's racist. I don't think people have the capability or the skill set to properly judge diverse talent who are from different cultural areas and spaces in the world from them to just simply trust them to continue the rate uh, to, to, um, fairly give opportunities to people. And the difference is these opportunities are life-changing. Let me tell y'all something. This is the important part of it to me. I'm from the hood. Like I came from the hood and it's like, I had to work for everything from entry level for myself. If you are going to stop me or not consider me because my brilliance is a little different than the person who's next to me and you know, y'all went to the same school or, you know, you get all these little weird advantages when you are um, like, like, let me just be real. Corporate America, these schools, that's white culture. So like when you are even even if you white and you grew up in the hood like Eminem, you're not going to relate to all that stuff. Like that's just different culturally. So it puts certain people at an advantage and it puts you at a, at a disadvantage where you have to adapt to their culture to grow because they don't understand you as you, because when you're in the position of power or the position of the majority, you don't have to adapt to the people beneath you. And that is part of the advantage that um, whites in power have had in America is they don't have to adapt or learn about the people that they're leading. And the problem with that is you don't have experience in my culture or you don't know how to judge brilliance in me. You're going to do like they told Oprah and you're going to tell me, you are not good at something that I'm brilliant at 
because you can't properly judge talent. Now, here is the significant piece of it. When I can grow in corporate America and I can get to a certain level and I can make a certain amount of money, then now I can afford to properly educate my children. I can afford to live in a certain community. I can afford to have money in a bank and not be check to check to be literate financially, to be, I can afford, I can grow and be a productive citizen to society. That's what Booker T. Washington was building towards when he built his school. That's what Booker T. Washington was talking about when he was going and giving speeches and being an advisor to presidents. He was talking about teaching blacks and allowing blacks to learn so that they can be contributing um, citizens to society. But you have to allow people to do that. You cannot hold someone back from growth and then blame them for not growing or point the finger at them when their communities are distressed. So when you don't listen, when you allow one generation of, of a person to grow and they earn it, like you're just allowing someone the opportunity to be in the game. That's what I always say. I just want to be in the game, bro. And I don't want people holding me back from being in the game because they don't understand me. I don't want to have to change everything about myself, like cut all my facial hair off because that's what y'all do in y'all culture. Like we don't do that. Like I got bigger lips, bro. That don't look right. My hair is coarse. Like it's going to grow and turn back into my skin. That's going to make my skin irritated. I'm not walking around with the, with the naked face. I'm not doing it. What am I saying? You could do that if you want to, but we have to learn how to understand different people. I think that goes both ways. I think that we are all at the advantage if we all have an opportunity to continue to grow. It makes us all better. And the biggest thing is that these percentages of black people not even high at the like in corporate America. I see it. I've had people say, man, you'll be surprised the stuff you hear that people will say, you know, when ain't nobody around as a black person. I remember one time it was a uh, this person. Talk about this affirmative action, right? This person had gotten an opportunity um, when when the you know these companies start focusing more on diverse hires, right? And I was out to dinner with these two white people who I like. These these were like cool white people. I don't I'm not calling them racist, nothing negative. Like they cool. They they were cool to me. But they said something I never forgot it. They were just kicking it about this person who got this job, and they were like, yeah, you know. I don't remember if it was a male or female, but they're like, yeah, you know, they got it because, you know, of their race, because they diverse. And I was like, dog, that's funny to me. Like, so we can't acknowledge all the years that somebody didn't get a job because of their race. And let's just say it was part of the reason they got it. It's like me getting drafted to a team and you saying he got it because he a quarterback. Where quarterback was the need on the team that year. Maybe next year is running back. You picked the wrong year to be a running back. What I'm saying is, okay, great. If everybody wants to get rid of affirmative action, cool. What I'm challenging you to do is do it on your own. Diversify yourself as a believer on your own because, like, the Bible talks about all nations. Let, let, me, let me just say this, right? This is important. I want you all to understand something. And it's also concerning and why I talk about these things as a Christian. I know it might turn some people off, but that's not my intention. If you really hear my heart, the reason we have to address this, I could tell you over the last few years, we've lost a lot of black believers to pro black religions. Right. So what happens in Christianity 
when black people feel that, wow, even as a Christian, they don't like even Christians don't care about me. They don't care about diversity. They don't care about coming together. I don't have a space here. What it does is it leads people into religions that call the black person God. That's not biblical. There's a lot of people on that. Uh, more than you know. And this is what I mean about diversifying yourself and understanding what's going on in the world as believer, because all souls count. Right. And part of the reason that black former black Christians are being turned off is because nobody wants to tell the truth when it's the black person at the disadvantage. And I believe as Christians, we need to learn how to have these critical conversations, these challenging conversations, have them in a way that is upfront, that is open, but is also not encouraging the victim mentality. I do not need you to feel sorry for me. I am not a charity case. God has opened doors by the grace of God. I've been able to continue to grow my career. I've had challenges, I've had setbacks, I've had frustrations, but I've continued to fight. I've put myself in uncomfortable positions. Last year, I learned how to play golf. I went out, one of my mentors took me out on a golf course last year. When I tell you I could not hit the ball in the grass, was dirt by the time I was done on that court. I was on a beautiful course out in Plymouth, Michigan. It was beautiful. And I was out there so frustrated. But the reason I wanted to learn how to play golf, because I'm like, well, this is where all the business deals happen. And there are people who are getting a, a head up against me. Um, they're getting an advantage on me in corporate America because you go on a golf course for four or five hours and you playing with higher executives and you're having discussions and they get to know you and all this. And it's like, I grew up hooping, man. We can't do a basketball tournament, bro. No, I had to grow up and say, yo, you are in their culture. This is corporate culture. I'm not selling my soul. I'm not selling out. I'm going to learn a new game. It became fun. I went to the range sometimes two to three days a week. I was going to the range. It became an outlet when I had stressful work days. I would go to the range just to hit. Then I went to Top Golf. That became my spot last year, Top Golf. I was in Top Golf all the time. And I found myself a year later, last week, two weeks ago, I was out of Denver, Colorado Springs. Um, at a PGA uh, course, the Broadmoor, beautiful golf resort. And I was like, okay, I'm playing. And I went from last year not hitting the ball to this year. I'm rocking it. I'm on the course. I'm networking with the people. I'm in the game, bro. So what am I saying? I'm saying, like, I ain't no victim mentality person. I don't want you to get that from me. But I am a realist. And... I'll say this last thing about one of my concerns um, about, about um, affirmative action. These type of things allow people, remember I started this conversation off about there's a web, an entangled web, and what, what I've seen happen in the world today is that people are falling on one side or the other. So you got a lot of black Christians, a lot of black people who are Christians who are voting for I'm just just an example. I'm not gonna dog nobody, um, nobody's um candidates, right? But let's just say hypothetically, if this were the case, right? Let, let me hold on, let me take a sip of my tea before I say what I'm about to say. You gotta take a little sip sometimes before you say something to make people mad. Um, let's say there is a candidate, and let's say I'm black, and on this affirmative action thing. This candidate, I agree with them 100%. Like, yeah, baby, like, they all for black people, right? Like, yeah, rah, rah, rah. This is what happens in our community. 
But then it's these other three things, abortion, they want to kill babies. You know, they want to, they want to do these other things uh, that kind of like go against my faith and my belief as a believer. And now I'm a black Christian and I'm saying I'm choosing the lesser of two evils because I'm so passionate about being black. I'm so passionate about progressing black people that I become blinded to everything else. So now I'm identifying with otherwise anti-Christ movements and agendas to justify my blackness and progression of my people. So the reason I talk about these things as an independent is I'm trying to give the other side some insight into if y'all don't start diversifying your mindset biblically though there's diversity in the bible you don't think it's diversity in the bible hold on fam see now nah, hold on Ooh we <laughs> i love when the bible pop up in my mind just randomly hold on i'm looking for something Ooh we Ooh we Ooh, where is it at where is it at i'm looking for something I'm looking for something. Ooh, where is it at? I want to say it's in Romans. Ooh, hold on, y'all. I love when God comes into the picture. We about to go to the Bible. Hold on, let me let me go to one of these and let me go to the Bible app real quick. The Bible website. I'm about to share this. I don't even know if I'm gonna find exactly what I'm looking for, but it's so easy to find a word. It's so easy to be encouraged by the word, man. Let's go to Romans. Let's start in Romans 14. You know what I'm saying? All right, let me go back. Oh, no, I don't want to be in the... I like the NLT. New Living Translation. All right, cool, cool, cool. We about to share the word. This is... Yo, this is what we do on this podcast. Isn't it great? All right, let me see how this is viewing for y'all. Okay, cool. That's That's viewing good. All right, so we in Romans chapter 14. Let's see. Ooh, the danger of criticism. Nah, this ain't even what I was looking for, but let's let's try to dig into this. Because what we want to do now is I've given a lot of my perspective, a lot of my opinion. We need, let's see what the word said. Let's see now we read the word after having this conversation. This is literally off the top of my mind. I have not prepped. I don't know everything that's in this chapter. I don't even know if this is the chapter I'm looking for. So if it completely goes against what I said, then we're going to elevate the word over my opinion. We're going to scrap the last 45 minutes or however long I've been talking. All right. So accept other believers who are weak in, in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, ooh, Jesus, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do for God has accepted them. Woo. All right. Here's what I want to say. Man, I thank God for that. We have become so argumentative in the body of Christ. So maybe you are a person that's looking at me and you like, man, Jay's slipping on this. He uh, he for affirmative action. He weak in the faith. Don't argue with me, fam. Or maybe I'm looking at you and I'm like, man, they don't really see the significance or the value in having this conversation 
And I'm not going to look down on you either because the Bible says that we shouldn't look down on each other if one of us are weak in the faith. All right, all right, so let's see. All right, let's think, let's see. Ooh, in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to the Lord before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please God and give thanks to God. Man. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. I love that because what it makes me think about is whether you are for affirmative action, whether you are against affirmative action, like Christ died for my sins, fam, like at the end of the day, this conversation that I'm having today is to honor the Lord. If our goal is honoring the Lord, right? If that is what we are truly doing, then you good even if you disagree with me, right? If you disagree with me and, and you're honoring God in it, like, I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Woo! You can't look down on me because I only got a 3.3, fam. Look, it's, it's one of the challenging things in the world is that people do tend to discriminate for various reasons. You know, if you, if you, look, if you think you're smarter than somebody because of their skin color, then you're wrong. If you think somebody is racist just because of their skin color, then you're wrong. Like this whole, this is what I'm saying about politics and stuff. It doesn't remind me of the word of God. And I think we've gotten so far away from the word of God as our guide. We've allowed these figures and these characters, these politicians to be our gods, to be our preachers. And the problem with that is they all be lying. And what I've learned about politics is, man, when you get behind people, you got to be willing to lie too. Like, you got to be willing to ignore them. I watch this. I'm going to say this. I never openly talk about presidents and things, but I have to say what I saw. I'm not saying what I believe. I'm just saying what I saw. I saw this with my own eyes. With my own eyes, I saw people hate Trump so much that they voted for Biden. And then Biden got in and they saying he ain't he don't know what he doing. And I'm looking like, but you voted for him. <laughs> like, I saw you a couple years ago at the rally for my mans. And like, it's like, okay, then you mad at him over here because he has some classified documents leak. Oh, he a liar. He did. Then my man over here leak his and you kind of like, uh, well, that's my homie. So I ain't, gonna, ain't nothing on that one. It's just the world we live in. That's interesting to me. I look, I, I have no, I'm I, look, I'm just, I'm just a Christian guy. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Woo, woo. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All right. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Let's see. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, 
you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then, oh, Jesus, did you have, I knew the word was going to give me something. Verse 19, we in Romans chapter 14, verse 19. If you listen to audio, I apologize. I am sharing the screen and you should subscribe to our show on YouTube at Inspire God's People. Check out our shorts, our inspirational messages that I release almost every day. Verse 19, y'all, Romans 14 and 19. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over, over this, over what you eat is what it's talking about here. To me, you can look at that in various aspects. Don't tear apart the work of God because you disagree with something. Jesus. You may, verse 22, you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. The lesser of two evils. That's, I, that's why I don't like that. I just don't like the concept of like, if I'm doing something that doesn't feel right, why? Because everybody else told me to vote for this person. Everyone else told me to do this. Everyone else told me to march for this cause. Everyone else told me that this was a noble cause. Get this. Don't do that. It's like, man, I, I, I don't know. I never read this chapter with this perspective of like all of these things that we're back and forth and we're arguing about. Um, and, and ultimately, they are separating us from the Lord. Yeah, I, I like this, DC. Does, uh, man, you always tell me how to say your name. I apologize, sister. Thank you for watching. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. That's really, that's really what this is about. With me, it is about, yes, I can have a perspective on affirmative action because of my life experience, because of who I am and the vantage point um, that I've grown and worked 16 years through corporate America. And I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of things that I think either people are in denial about or they wouldn't believe. And I have to be real with y'all. Also know I'm a smart person. There have been times where I have felt that people have tried to minimize, minimize my brilliance because it's different than what they're used to. Like I'm a di I'm smart in a different way. I'm not going to pass every test, bro. I'm just telling you right now, if you right now put a multiple choice test in, me, in front of me, this is what throws me off about tests. In life, the way I learn, I like to learn the right way to do things and I like to do that. But if you tell me, I always tell people, I'm not a fast learner, I'm a great learner. So I don't learn things fast. I learn things from repetitively doing them over time, looking at them from different angles, like I learned like that. So if you give me a problem and say, let's say we in school right now for 30 minutes and you teach me something and you teach me that, um, you know, uh, Abraham Lincoln's hat was red. Okay, cool. But then you put it on a test. Now we only looked at this for 30 minutes. Abraham Lincoln hat is red. Cool. Then you put on a test. Abraham's Lincoln hat. What color was Abraham's Lincoln hat? A, red. B, 
pinkish red, C, burgundy, D, maroon. I'm going to look at that and be like, well, shoot. From what I remember, I know it was something in the red family. Then you got the nerd. One of them is cardinal red or bright red. It's like, yo, like I don't learn like that. I don't learn by you trying to trick me. That's not how. First, it's like I need time to do something, experience it, da-da-da, learn it, da-da. And then I'm a great learner. I tend to learn things better than most people, better than the average people. But I don't learn things faster than the average person. There are a lot of times in life that, like, if I'm learning something for the first time, I'm looking around, I'm like, oh, I genuinely don't know what these people are talking about. Like, what'd you say? Huh? Do what? What? I don't know what you're talking about. But the difference between me and the average person is I'm going to continue to repetitively do or try that thing, and I'm going to learn it well and then become an expert in it a year later. And then a year later, I can deconstruct it in five different ways because I really spent time to learn it. That ain't never going to come out in a test, though. Like, so if me and you take a test and you score better than me on the test, that doesn't mean you're a better leader than me because leadership uh, calls for empathy. Right. It calls for the ability to motivate or inspire others to galvanize the troops. Some people are just individually great. Right. And so all I'm saying with this whole thing is that, look, man. There's a reason that affirmative action was needed in the first place. I bet if it was affirmative action in church, we would see more whites and black churches and blacks and white churches. We don't even go to church together, y'all. Now, I say that knowing good and well that there are some diverse churches in America. Few and far between in some cases. A lot of cases, they're just mega churches. Also, I've been to a lot of churches in Michigan where the audience is mixed, but the leadership is white. That's, some, that's something I've noticed, like, for real. It's like we're judging the, the diversity of the church on the membership, but the leadership doesn't reflect that. And that, these are all things that I think we should think about. Because I think if I'm black, I should care about the progression of my white brothers and sisters, Asian, Indian, whatever. And if any of them are being um, abused or discriminated in any way, I should care. And I think vice versa, that people should care about black people. I do. Like, I don't I don't think you have to put a, a Black Lives Matter flag outside or go to a march or donate money to some people that you don't trust or know or believe is doing the right thing. Um, I wouldn't do it either. But that's why that's why I think the association with political agendas are sometimes negative, because what you have is that all of these political agendas are hijacking um, the oppression of blacks to really spearhead other things. And you never really actually see black people benefit at the ground level. Like I'm saying, you're not seeing a significant dent in change in in the ground level of of our culture. Um, but yet we become the the marketing campaign uh for a lot of movements and agendas who then go and actually um really make change in other communities you feel what i'm saying so um look i appreciate y'all watching if you watch this on the replay hopefully you got something out of this hopefully um maybe something challenged you maybe something 
uh, maybe you didn't like something or whatever, but what I ask you is that you receive it out of love because it was given and spoken out of love. Um, even if it doesn't, it doesn't mean I'm I'm right when everything I'm saying, I have a specific uh, perspective. I'm open to hearing um, other perspectives as well. So please do comment. Let me know what y'all think if you listen to this later. Um, thank you for uh, Felicia, uh, Dusty, uh, the, the conference. Is it DC? Oh my God. DC. I want to say it's something. Your name is pronounced a certain way, and I'm so sorry. But appreciate everybody uh, who commented, who's watching this. And um, man, I just hope that um, my, my goal with this podcast is to be able to spark certain conversations like this. A lot of times I stay away from some conversations, not because I'm scared to have them, but because I don't particularly like um, conversations where people are won't listen because they're triggered. Um, it's not enjoyable to me to discuss. Um, and it's does say, does either does say or does, yeah, does say. Look, but please do uh, like, comment, share, subscribe, share this with somebody for real um, who you think may benefit from hearing it. And then uh, make sure you subscribe on YouTube at Inspire Guys People. Uh, we are approaching 600 subscribers. I think we're at 595. You know what I'm saying? So thank you for everybody that's subscribing. Uh, we're continuing. To, uh, I'm continuing to try to grow the show and mean and grow like with content and substance and the things we're talking about, the way we're talking about them. Like I said, it is challenging. Sometimes I do work in corporate America. Um, I do have a very uh, busy job and I also travel. And uh, so sometimes it's challenging navigating, like keeping up with everything and trying to schedule interviews or things like that. I am going to be on another podcast, um, the Trinity Financial Group, their podcast coming up soon. Uh, so I got a couple other things coming up. Um have to get back with somebody about speaking to a group of young men um, for a nonprofit at the end of the month. So I got a lot of things going on in real life and hopefully we continue to grow online. Much love. God bless y'all, man. This has been an amazing, amazing, amazing day.